0: Welcome to Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who want to live and lead their lives differently and explore topics relevant to all areas of their life.
1: Welcome to episode 35 of Reframe Your Life, a podcast for women who want to live and lead differently. Today we're really excited to bring you an interview with Ezzie Spencer, I want to just welcome my co-host, Joanne, and then I'll tell you a little bit about our guest. Joanne, how are you? Hi, guys. I'm good. I'm good. Looking forward to today. Great. Well, we've been trying to get Ezzy on our program for a little while, so we're happy to be able to connect with her. She's in New York City, so we're able to do this in the same time zone, which is a plus. <laughs> Ezzy is another Australian, so I'm going to be surrounded today. By these beautiful <laughs> Australian accents. But let me tell you a little bit about Ezi, and then I'll welcome her. Ezzie is an author, speaker and coach. Her first book will be released this week and it is titled An Abundant Life Flourishing with the Cycles of the Moon. Ezzy trained as a lawyer and went on to work in government, nonprofit, and research sectors and earned her PhD in women's well being and justice after violence. Feeling that something was missing in the intellectual world of law, Ezzy began to explore the correlation she noticed between her feelings and the phases of the moon. Her concept, Lunar Abundance, marries intellect with intuition and has reaped results for many women through online coaching sessions, one-to-one coaching sessions, and a flourishing online community. So welcome, Ezzie. Oh, it is such a pleasure to be here. It's our pleasure to have you. And I want to just launch in with a question. So I first heard you on another podcast that I listened to, and I was so taken with your story. So I know your bio gives us a little bit about your background, but our podcast is for women who want to reframe their lives. And I can't imagine a bigger reframe than (laughs) going from being a lawyer (laughs) to your current work so can you just tell us about that journey how you went from law to what you're doing now?
2: Yeah for sure and it does definitely on the surface sound like it is such a different um, type of work but in some respects there are a lot of similarities between what I used to do when I was working in the law and in legal academia um, which A lot of the work that I had to do was to do with women's well-being and the work that I do now. It's just that the vehicle is so much, um, it's so different. So um, when I was really, I guess, like a little girl, I was really fascinated by the moon, like a lot of women. Are, mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have that sense of innate, um, you know, curiosity or fascination with this, you know, very ancient and primal cycle. And I was also very creative as you know, a young child, and had you a know, very vivid imagination. And then I got the grades to go to law school, so I just went to law school because that's just what you did, really, after high school mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you got the grades. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'd like to say there was a lot of, um, you know, I suppose, you know, strategic thinking in that for me. I certainly saw it as a ticket to a bright future and it certainly was that, um, but it was just something that I, I did, I suppose, without a huge amount of thought about whether it was actually going to be something that I wanted um in, in my life, if a legal career was actually going to suit me. Um, and we're so, you know, we're asked to make these decisions, I think, at such a young mm. age.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> mm. And that that sense of really dreaming bigger um, about my life and really understanding who I was at a, as a person and what might really suit me as a career just did not factor into any of the conversations or decision making that I had around around that at the time. And I really liked law school. Um, I thought it was really intellectually stimulating. I met a lot of inspiring people. But that sense of you know magic and mystery and connection to something much bigger than myself really faded throughout law school because it's such um, a, a law school and then as I as I went out and I was working in the law as well and it's such a rational logical profession it's a very masculine type profession it's very heady it's very intellectual um, you know it's very much based in the in the thinking mind mm-hmm. um, and I really felt very disconnected um, by the time I was in my mid to late 20s I was feeling very disconnected from my my feminine nature, I probably wouldn't have articulated it in this way at that time, but there was this craving to come back into my body, to c- connect back in with my own sort of my inner knowing, my inner wisdom, my intuition, my own cycles, and the cycles of nature as well. And so I was really seeking something again, not really knowing at the time what it was that I was looking for, but knowing that my heart was yearning for something that was missing in my life, which looked like. It had all the external trappings of success and, you know, even though I was really stuck in the, you know, I was in that push and hustle mode all the time and the go, go, go all the time and I was working long hours because that's just what, other people in the profession were doing, and that's mm-hmm. what I was surrounded by. That was the norm, you know. I wasn't really, you know, questioning that on the surface so much, but my body was giving me signs that there was something a little bit amiss about the way that I was living my life. So I wasn't in crisis. I wasn't having a huge burnout, but I think I was probably, you know, that would have been in my future if I'd kept going down that road. So, at some that's sort of the background, I guess, for what how I developed what was originally a personal practice and so I would um, journal at night I find journaling to be one of the best ways to really make sense of yourself and the way that you're feeling and your place in the world um, you know just between you and the page there's mm-hmm. a lot of truth and um, and wisdom that can emerge um, and a lot of self-knowledge as well and so I would journal at night to try to make sense of the way that I was feeling to make sense of what was really missing for me and at some point. I started to put in to my journal where the moon was in the sky and so um, in relation to which phase it was the moon cycle lasts for about a month that goes through eight phases in that month the full moon is one of those eight phases and it's the one that we're most familiar with But the moon is always there and it's always moving through the sky and it's constantly changing throughout that month-long cycle. So I started to chart that where the moon was in the sky and I used to write it in my journal. And over time, what I started to find is that there were actually correlations between how I was feeling um, in my life and where the moon was in the sky and because the moon cycle is a month-long cycle those correlations became uh, very easy to pick up and they also became quite predictable because they'd repeat over the course of each month and I just thought this was so fascinating and I went deeper, deeper into that and so one of the things, I ended up sidestepping into legal academia because I'd identified um, that I did need to make some changes in my career. I thought, well, you know, maybe the law is not it, but legal academia might be it. And so I went in and was doing my PhD and I was teaching uh, at a law school Um and what I really found is that I was able to go much deeper into the practice and be able to really listen to and honour the way that I was feeling what my body was wanting to do with the ebbs and the flows of the energy that I you know that I had whilst I was in this more flexible research environment doing my doctorate. And what I started to find is that when I was really honouring myself, I was able to and honouring my own body's needs, I was able to actually work a lot more effectively, get a lot more done um, and actually feel a lot more energised and a lot you know, better about myself and I thought my goodness this is really interesting mm-hmm. this flies in the face of everything that you know I have ever been taught but yeah I'm seeing the effects in my own life I did my PhD in record time I got a perfect result and it wow. opened up a lot of space for me to do other things uh, in my life as well and one of those things because I was so interested and fascinated by what I was discovering is that I started to share this with other women, and I started to hold events and workshops, and then I started to I take on coaching clients, and it was all very much in a side capacity. It was like a hobby. It was something I was just interested in. I still was planning to, you know, work my way through the academic system and, you know, maybe become a professor one day. It, this is never what I thought would actually become <laughs> my work. But what I found over time is that. Firstly, women were fascinated and they were drawn to me and I grew a business through word of mouth. Um, and then secondly, I found that I really enjoyed this work. It spoke to mm. me much deeper level than anything that I'd done before and like I said I wasn't miserable with what I was doing before but it was like this really lit me up and had me on purpose working directly with women and being able to garner results in women's lives Um, and seeing those results in people's lives was just was such a joy and is still such a joy today
1: wow wow <laughs> that is such a compelling story joanne i'm sure you have some questions
0: <laughs> yeah i um, can you just share a little bit more about what honoring your own body's needs look like for you like tangibly what it was was it was it having a glass of wine when you needed a glass of wine or what was it
2: <laughs> it's such a good question and i would say that the number one tangible thing was rest Right. and self-care and not, and specifically when I talk about rest, it's not just, you know, for me just like, you know, taking a day off and just being in bed, you know, is yeah. in the, the modern world you know with our modern lives and responsibilities and you know if we have dependence and that kind of thing that's just yeah. not realistic um, yeah. and i would i found that the way that i was living my life was all or nothing is that i would push mm. and push and push mm. and go until mm. i'd reached the brink of exhaustion and my body would be so tired that i would need to spend that day in bed because i would just be so worn out um so i was living in this all or nothing kind of way before and so Really, I suppose that tangible um, way of then bringing this sense of honoring my body into my life was to really build in these Mm. periods of rest and even some unstructured time as well. And the way that looks in the moon practice is I'd mentioned previously that there are eight moon phases in the moon cycle which i work with and of those eight moon phases uh which last three or four days apiece so remember the moon cycle lasts for about a month so there's Mm -hmm. each of those eight moon phases will last three or four days apiece it's not always consistent because the moon has an elliptical um orbit (laughs) but it's Mm -hmm. around three or four days each and four of those moon phases are classified as yin phases and four of those moon phases are classified as yang phases and the yin and the yang phases come in pairs. So that the first of the eight phases, so the first three or four days of the cycle, for instance, is a yang phase. The next three or four days is a yin phase. The third phase is the yang phase and so on and so forth. And so what that really does is sets up A rhythm or what it has done for me is set up like a structure a rhythm in my life which has really given me permission to move forward and be more action-oriented in the yang phases and in the yin phases to really be very mindful of giving myself a little bit of rest uh, perhaps not accepting that extra invitation be that social or business or otherwise Mm -hmm. to be perhaps you know say yeah actually I'm going to Factor in a night at home doing nothing that evening, or maybe I'll book in less client sessions in a yin phase, or maybe I won't push myself to go to the gym, maybe I'll go for a walk instead. You know, so those are, those are very practical examples of what a yin way of living, or perhaps honoring your body, or giving yourself the opportunity for more rest might actually look like in your life and work.
0: Mm, yeah, that's that's a really good point to offer. Um, This year is the first time I'm being mindful of saying yes to a social event just because I have nothing else on that night Mm. and trying to look, okay, what am I doing that week before and what am I doing that week after? And we actually said no to something because we're away and then we come back and we've got a weekend just to recover before we have to get into work and we've got invited to two things and we've both said no. My husband and I have said no because, even though we're home, that's that's our we've we've marked it as our rest time. So um, so that's awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think it's important. We've spoken about all or nothing a lot on our podcast before, mm-hmm. and I've just had a week of all. And I wrote on Facebook this afternoon that I had a mini breakdown last night saying I'm sick of the cold I want to go back to Australia uh, so, <laughs> it is I, know, there. Yeah, I know it's just a result of which is another thing I wanted to say when I was looking at the moon practice and the lunar practice uh, I love it your email said you know in the evening go outside and have a look at the moon and i'm like yeah if you don't live in canada we haven't seen the sun or the moon for, <laughs> for like two weeks and i'm like i know i know i know it it's there it's there so i'm like okay just look at the calendar and imagine where it is where i'd be seeing it right now so so yeah i think i'm fast suffering from a little bit of vitamin d deficiency right now but so um, good it it's yeah it's it's so good to um share some of those like give yourself permission to have rest thank you yeah
1: so i have a quick question for you but when we talk about lunar cycles we often talk as women about how our cycles our Mm. our, uh, reproductive cycles or whatever um align with the moon and That's not what we're talking about here. I just want to clarify that for people. At at least that's my understanding. So it's not—it's not your, or is it your natural cycle? Hormonal cycle. Yes. Mm.
2: Yeah, I'm talking about the moon in the sky. And so mm. a lot of women find that there might be a correlation between what is going on with the moon in the sky and their menstrual cycle, for instance. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of women don't bleed for various reasons, hormones or stage of life or, you know, whether there's pregnancy and breastfeeding, involved. there's so many reasons why women might not be bleeding. And yet there still is that ability to connect in with the cycle that affects all of us. Um, If we're on Earth, the moon cycle is going to have, there will be a relationship between, um, you know, what's happening with us and what's happening with the moon in the sky. I work with that relationship or I feel most comfortable working with that relationship as a symbolic one as a representative one and by that what I mean is that I work with the moon as a mirror so that I'm not saying that the moon for instance has this special power over us although I think there's a lot of theories around you know why the moon has the effect that it does um Mm-hmm. and it's a whole separate conversation that we could go <laughs> I read about it a little bit in my book. But um, but what I'm really working with when I'm talking about the moon is the mirror is by you know, either looking up at the moon at night maybe looking at your lunar
0: Calendar.
2: You can see the moon at night, Um, and then having that as a trigger to actually go within. So it's more of a body awareness practice, a self knowledge practice, and we work with the moon as a natural timekeeper because it is always there, and there does seem to be this special relationship um, between us here on Earth, and especially women seem to have um a special relationship with the moon. Not to say that um that, that men can't have that relationship special relationship with the moon. It's just that it's much more common in my experience for women to feel that they have that relationship. Oh for
1: mm. sure.
0: Yeah that was gonna be one of my uh my questions and you mentioned kind of feminine energy and masculine energy and in your kind of leading story you mentioned well, I was taking away, you know, masculine's maybe more on the thinking and the doing side. Um, uh, can you share any thoughts about kind of the masculine and feminine energy, if you've done some many research in this, of course? But
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that these... Uh, these can be quite slippery terms to define. So when i right. talking about feminine in this way, I, what I mean, when I talk about feminine and masculine, I tend yeah. not to talk about it all that much. I tend to talk more of using the words yin and yang. Right. For the reason that I think it gets a little bit confusing and it gets a little bit blurry with gender and that's actually not mm. where I'm going when I'm talking about these concepts. So what I mean when I talk about, Feminine, and masculine, or yin and yang—they're really modes of operating. We all need different these two different modes of operating, and obviously, two modes is dumbing it down a bit. But it's you know for the as a, it's for a, as a teaching vehicle. Um, you know, we're going to have multiple modes of operating. We've all got lots of different things to do. We need to wear lots of different hats. Um, but when I'm talking about the yin mode, I'm talking more about it in terms of polarity, and I'm talking about this in terms of. Being more, restoring, receiving, and um, when I'm talking about Yang, I'm talking about it being more in the action-oriented doing. Right. So I think that it. I mean, I I think in 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 some respects, I feel like the English language hasn't quite perhaps. Um, caught up to these concepts in a way and mm-hmm. that, a lot of people talk about feminine and masculine I feel like it's a little bit um in some respects it can be a little bit misleading or it can feel or you can sort of feel a little like pathologized or like there's something mm-hmm. wrong with you for instance if you're like I'm a woman and I'm in my masculine or he's in yeah. my masculine Like, what does that mean? And, you know, how does that fit in with my identity? And I feel like a more fruitful inquiry is to ask yourself whether you have a healthy relationship between your own yin and yang modes of operating. So for instance, when I was working in my previous career and this is still a shadow pattern in my life which comes up uh, over and over and I and I need to be aware of it and continue to work with it, which is why the Lunar Abundance Practice I developed as a personal practice for myself because I needed it and I still work with it as a personal practice with myself because I can really fall into the overachieving yang, going, 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 doing mode. That's a very... Um, deeply embedded wiring uh, in me. But the thing is, is that it's not always healthy for me. And it's not always healthy for anyone, regardless of gender, to be in that going, 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 doing, doing mode all the time. Some people might actually be in that mode all the time and it might be really healthy for them. Other people might be completely in the yin mode all the time and it might be fine for them. So again, like it's not intended to pathologize your natural setup or in any way that you are working in life and work if it's working for you. The inquiry or the invitation is just that is there a healthy relationship within yourself? Do you have a healthy balance within yourself of these different modes of operating? And if not, then uh, what are the types of actions or the types of changes or tweaks that you might make to your life and your work so that you are able to have a more joyful, easeful, graceful um, experience? Of being alive because it's such a gift to be alive and we have so many opportunities available to us and we can uh, i think you know many of us can can be having a better time um and enjoying life a little bit more
0: yeah i love that reframe do you have Mm -hmm. a healthy relationship between the yin and yang modes of operating that's going to be make it an instagram post i'm sure that's awesome thank you.
1: That's great. Oh, so much in there. I was just like, madly taking notes and thinking about so many of the things that you were talking about. And um, trying to not jump all over the place either and be a little coherent in this in this conversation. But I am going to make a little bit of a leap because I was wondering how this process applied to book writing for you because you just (laughs) finished writing a book. And I know Mm. when whenever we go into a project and like writing a book or I've not, I've never written one, but my my husband has. And I know what that was like for him. And I know when you're doing something like that, it can become very deadline driven. And yet it's a highly creative process. So how did your practice inform writing a book for you?
2: Mm -hmm. Such a good question. And it did so really in a number of ways and one of those ways was around the day-to-day writing really working with the yin and the yang modes of operating which i explained Mm. in brief before and so what i find for instance is that during a yin period i tend to be very creative so i actually tend to um to write a lot because i love writing and so For me personally, you know, writing is a creative endeavour which when I have the time and the space and when I'm rested, it tends to really flow for me. So I do a lot of creative writing in those yin times and I work with the yin phases of the moon because that is, for me, that's this very, you know, very gentle, structured um, timekeeping that's set Mm. up, not by me, but by Mm. the moon and by what I'm overlaying on that so I would find that in the yin phases that would be the time that I would have more of that free-form creative writing then in the yang phases that would be the time where I'd actually bunker down and maybe write that introduction which I was finding a little bit hard for that Mm -hmm. or it's things that I needed a little bit more of a nudge on perhaps doing a little bit of editing or maybe adding in you know really um Going into tussling with a particular point that I was having a little bit of difficulty with, I wasn't able to, um, to, to it wasn't coming through that easily, I'd really need to sort of sit down um, and give myself a bit of a push and a nudge. That might be something I'd do more, say, in a young phase. So that was one of the ways that the practice played out in the writing of the book. Another way that the practice played out is that we've spoken quite a lot about the lunar aspect of the practice, there's also the abundance aspect of the practice. And so in each one of the eight moon phases in the lunar abundance practice that I teach, and which I I write about in the book as well, um, in depth, so... um, there's more detail there but in terms of the eight moon phases or the way that the practice is set up is that I work with a particular abundance principle at each one of those eight moon phases and so each one of those eight abundance principles really does inform the entire practice and the very first one of those principles is intention and so it was for me writing the book very uh, intentional every aspect of writing the book was very intentional, and so I would write back from the point at which I decided to write the book. I decided to write the book a year before I sat down and wrote, put any pen to paper. Um, I sat down a year in advance and one afternoon and did a quick outline for the book, um, for the chapters for the book. And it took me another year before I actually had the space and the time, or where I, I created the space and the time to sit down and write the first draft. And so it was a year in the making. I had this intention that I was going to write a book. But then I got even more intentional about it. What exactly did I want the writing process to be like? And I really felt like I wanted the writing process to feel very easeful, graceful, joyful, Mm. abundant. So that intention was I was holding that intention and I was also holding an intention for my readers because this is my own practice. I was working with this practice myself, but I was writing this book for people who weren't me. I was writing this book for my readers. So my intention around who were my readers, but also what did I want my readers to feel as they were reading the book? And also, you know, how what did I want, what was my purpose for the book, you know, and my purpose the book was that I wanted it to get into the maximum number of hands um, and minds and ears and eyes of of, of the right people who were really going to benefit from it and get something from it. And so I really went into it by wanting to enrich other people's lives and being very clear about how I wanted them to feel as they were working their way through the book. And so, um, so that was a way that intention played out very much in the writing of the book uh, as well. And then I'd set my own new intentions as I went through the, the writing process mm. around creativity and flow and that type of thing as
1: well. Wow. Mm. That's such a good example for me of how what you're doing looks in life, that um, how you actually practice it you know moving it from sort of more of that conceptual place that we were talking to the reality of this is what it looks like to live with it and to sit with it when you're actually working on something so thank you so much for sharing that
0: i've never heard those words used to describe the process of writing a book (laughs) like they were very positive words that you use and they were the intention that you set so yeah
2: yeah, I just thought this book was going to be, I mean, what was the point of doing it if I wasn't going to have fun? Yeah,
0: yeah, most people are like, oh, my God, writing this book, you know.
1: And did your fun include where you wrote the book?
2: Yes, yeah, so I decided that I wanted to write at least the first draft. I wanted to have an immersive experience to that. that. So that was one of the reasons why it was, it was a year in the making. Like, I could have sat down and started chipping away at this book um, every day you know I could have done that but I chose to take a writing retreat and I went to Bali mm. to actually sit down and write that first draft in an immersive way and I'm so glad that I did that because it really imbued the entire process um, with if you have fun and magic and creativity yeah. <laughs> Bali, is oh yeah a very place to be incredibly yeah. Incredibly privileged to have had that opportunity
1: how long were you there well- <laughs> <laughs> I was following you a little bit on Instagram there and I was yeah. I thought you lived there and I was like oh my goodness yes I could I could in- have a lunar abundance practice if I lived there <laughs> <laughs> yeah lunar abundance is um it's very easy
2: in Bali um yeah. but it's good it's it i mean lunar abundance has taken me around the world so i'm extremely lucky with that and that is one of the intentions that i had for my business which is that i wanted to be location independent with my business not because i wanted to be on the road all the time but because i knew that my my life and my work was going to take me to different places and i wanted to have the opportunity to continue to work with clients whilst I was um, in different geographical places. so um, yeah I spent several months in, in Bali last year. It wasn't all just working on the book um, but it was um, definitely a part of that for sure.
0: Sandy and I often talk about creating the space to write not a book but to you know write our blog posts or to write content for our curriculum on workshops and things. But yeah, how you apply your practice in aligning, creating that space with the, with the yin or the yang mode um, is, mm. is something uh, worth looking at.
1: So, Ezzie, we our podcast listeners um, tend to be women of different stages of life. So, Joanne and I are in two different stages of life. And I was wondering how stages of life might impact the way we interact with lunar cycles, and not and not, not our physical cycles like mm. we talked about earlier, but just do you find people at different, especially women, at different stages of life use this practice differently in their lives? That's a really good question.
2: I suppose what I find is that women – can work with this practice either as more of, say, a self care practice if they are in a stage of life where they are, you know, extremely busy, for instance, and sometimes life just gets really full, um, and mm. that might be uh, because you. Uh, have a lot of work responsibilities a lot of personal responsibilities because you have young children a whole range of different factors where it is can where life can just become for a time about just getting through each day and then each week Uh, and I've certainly had periods in my own life where it has been very much about just taking care of myself in the very small um, the very small ways. And then the practice becomes, as I mentioned before, just it can become just a very gentle supportive self-care practice about paying attention to where exactly you're at in any given moment and what your needs are. So there's that aspect. There's also, I suppose, the aspect of the practice of the abundance element of the practice where people are actually really wanting to welcome in more growth and expansion in particular areas of their lives. And when I'm talking about abundance, I talk more about abundance as a mindset or a way of being, a way of being in the flow or living in the overflow. So being able to receive what life has to offer you and also be able to give back from that flow as well. And there are specific types of abundance that people may wish to welcome in at certain times. Um, So it might be, for instance, financial abundance so if you're in a slower period of your life you might be wanting to set intentions which are specifically to do with money or business growth or you know more um, more opportunities in terms of work and career and that type of thing and I find that what happens is that when you put your mind to something or when you bring your energy and your awareness into a a place on a certain topic is that you will uh, start to see if you've follow the abundance aspects of the practice and one of the things it's designed to do is to help you speed up in certain areas and Mm -hmm. that is often what then happens so I suppose that's a um, that is an example which isn't necessarily related to age but more around different just the different parts of life that we Mm -hmm. we find ourselves in because I mean one of the things with this I mean, what we, one of the things with life is that sometimes it's harder than other times. You know, life just sort of has these—I think—quite necessary oscillations, um, and it's not, you know, a personal failing if life is a little bit hard um, at any given time. Um, and it's just—it's just, it's just a, a, the nature of life, and it will swing back the other direction. And sometimes it's just about getting through um and doing it in a way which is as supportive and nourishing of yourself as
0: possible Mm, yeah i love the abundance piece because i mean that's where we try and get to with reframe and um instead of focusing on any negative how can we focus on uh positive and create space and open up to things that may come in our lives. Ezie, you explained about how you moved from the academic piece and you were you were coaching and you were basically building your business at the time, whether it was by intention or or just by the sheer joy of supporting women and your business kind of started organically. Was there any point that you had to really identify Uh, a fear or a challenge when you kind of made that leap from okay I'm going to leave this role this job and and do this full-time or launch it full-time was there any fear that you had to reframe or work through or or get over to do that
2: well I feel like it's I mean, my path, and I think every woman's path to this, or every person's path is going to be different. And I feel like in my case, one of the ways that I reframed fear, because yes, I've had a lot of it. I'm a very risk adverse person, actually. So one way that I really reframed that was just allowing myself to take it very slow. So it wasn't Mm -hmm. ever for me, like, or it wasn't for a long time until I actually had a successful, sustainable business. Um, It wasn't the point where I was like, okay, it's going to be this or that. So for instance, after I finished my PhD, I took on contract work. And so I'd have these periods where I'd do temporary contracts. You know, I was highly qualified. I had a lot of experience. Um, and that meant that I was able to sort of wend and weave my way in and out of the workforce. And I think that, you know, the casualization of the workforce is, um, actually tends to be to the detriment of women. A lot of times there are some real structural issues associated with that. Um, But in my case, I was able to really find um, ways to work that to my advantage um, because there are, at least in Australia at this time, and I think that I I shouldn't talk about other countries because – I don't know um, for sure, but I know both in the academic sector, in the government sector, um, and and perhaps to a lesser extent, um, but probably still in the corporate sector in Australia, there's a lot more contract opportunities mm-hmm. um, rather than like full time permanent ongoing opportunities and again i don't think this is necessarily a good thing um for women um and i think that women tend to uh bear the brunt of um some of the casualization issues to do with the workforce so by no means am i meaning to present this as like some kind of panacea or solution Mm -hmm. um, but to very real issues structural issues i think but for me being able to have a easy access to contract work whilst I was continuing to build my business actually was hugely beneficial.
0: Mm. And the same is happening here. Uh, what are we, we, We've we even labelled it, labelled it precarious employment. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah.
2: I, think it's a, I mean, I think it's a really big, I mean, it's a big issue and it's an issue that socially that, and that we'll need to grapple with more yeah. and more, I believe, going forward. And I don't have the answers to that. Um, no. I don't think there are tidy solutions to that. But certainly, you know, I have felt that I've had a, a huge amount of success working for myself. Um, I don't think necessarily that every single person is cut out for entrepreneurship, um, but it has been extraordinarily rewarding for me, both in terms of financial compensation, but also in terms of being able to live a life which, um, I mean, I just am living the life of my dreams. Um, yeah. And so, I feel like that's the type of job that I have today, I wouldn't have been able to have 10 years ago. Uh, Mm. So, it just wouldn't have existed. And the infrastructure, technology infrastructure um, and support systems, I don't think would have existed um, for me to be able to work in the way that I currently am working today. So, I'm grateful for that.
1: Definitely. Definitely. I feel the same way you know about technology and how it's allowed us to I think for women it's it's been really helpful as well. it's allowed us to create some balance in our lives because at least in canada a lot of a lot of people are able to work remotely, so you know I think technology has been an asset there as well even You have been on a number of podcasts. I actually did a little search this week to listen to a couple of your interviews because I had heard one before, but I just wanted to hear more of your story. And I was thinking about whenever, when we interview people on our podcast and how often after I listen back, I think, oh, I wish I'd asked this, or I wish I'd asked that. (laughs) And I thought when you've been interviewed a number of times, you probably get off the phone and think, I wish they'd asked me this. So that's my question for you is what question do you wish people would ask you about what you do?
2: Well, I have to say at the moment, I am so interested in in the creative process and the writing process and I – because I'm just coming out of that um, Mm – process myself with my with my first book but I've i done a PhD before um no one ever asked me about that no one has ever <laughs> that that work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> when, when we looked I was like oh my god she's got a PhD <laughs> <laughs> kind
2: of thing that people say oh my god that's interesting and then you start talking about it and they say please stop <laughs>
0: How can I get away from you at this party if we're in real life? (laughs) Or or to reframe that question Sandy asked you, like, is there, you have a platform, is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners about the practice, I think, any kind of, I mean, you've shared a lot.
2: Well, Um, I guess, I mean, one of the things which I always, encourage women to do if they're curious about it is to start to experience it mm. for themselves and I feel like you know if I approach this mentally I think you know if I sort of came into this mentally thinking oh there's the moon and there's me and there's my life and what would it have to do with what they would they yeah. have to do with each other I'm not sure that I would have got very far with that inquiry and mm. um, I feel like what has been so rich for me has been the experience. And in fact, getting out of the thinking mind and starting to get into that experience of of it and myself has been what has opened up so many doors within myself. It's opened up so much um, greater self-knowledge and sense of self, so much more confidence, intuition, self-esteem. And so I would just really encourage women if there is something in what, that I've spoken about which has really resonated to sort of take it out of the head and start to work with it in practice. So, start tracking the moon and just see whether it has um, benefits or see whether there are results in your own life. And I've got free resources on my website which can help with that. I've got lunar planners with dates and um, uh, uh, for the northern hemisphere as well as the southern hemisphere. Um, The moon phases obviously happen exactly the same time because it's to do with the relationship between the earth and the moon and the sun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 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 Um, One of the questions I actually get asked the most is is it the full moon at the same time? (laughs) (laughs) If you could believe it. (laughs) Um, Hence, yeah. The, um, the different um, the different planners for the different hemispheres that I have on my site. But that would really be my encouragement is just to give it a go and see whether there's anything in it for you and it might actually be uh, or the experience of it might actually mm-hmm. be different than what
1: you might mentally be thinking about. Mm-hmm. I can totally get why people ask questions about the, you know, the different like, Where's the moon in Australia? Is it the same as here? Because we are so disconnected from nature in our lives. A lot of us, you know, we live in urban mm-hmm. settings. I'm reading this book right now called If Women Rose Rooted. And it's really about getting in touch with sort of the natural order of things. And and we, we don't live very much in touch with it, you know. So I, I think people... A lot of people probably don't even know in their own part of the world where the moon is, what phase it's in or what, where, you know, unless there's a big spectacular super moon and it's, mm. and it's on the news, then we are suddenly looking at the sky. But I, I think we do tend to live in isolation from, from the moon and from other parts of nature as well.
2: It's so true. And that book sounds really interesting. When women
1: mm. rose, what is it called? If, if women, women rose it. rooted, I'll send you a link oh. to it. It's it's a really interesting book on kind of um, feminism and environmentalism. So, oh, I'd mm. love that.
0: Yeah. yeah, awesome. So let's finish off by what share a little bit about your book, ezzy What what's it called, and what can yeah. readers expect? Yeah, so it is called an abundant life
2: flourishing mm. with the cycles of the moon, mm-hmm. and it is a practical guide to starting to work with the moon phases and i touched on the first of the eight moon phases the new moon Mm -hmm. um what that might look like and that really is the starting point of a whole system um that i've developed as the lunar abundance practice and the book is a very practical um Guide through each one of those eight phases. It has lots of questions and prompts, so you can start to see what it might look like in your life to work with the with the moon cycle practice. And it has a lot more uh, information um, about the moon cycle in general, um, and you know little bits and pieces of moon mythology and that type of thing, and also just the how to make this relevant in your
1: own life and work sounds mm, great that's great yeah really good so if our listeners want to know more about you i know your book is going to be available in australia and you're just working on a north american publishing deal right now at least that's my understanding so if people want to get the book in canada are we going to have to wait or can we get it because i know it's it's out this it's going to be launched this week yeah. Mm-hmm. so absolutely so you can order the print book from australia
2: and get it shipped to anywhere in the world and um australia is a little way away so there will be a shipping cost associated with that which i apologize for that's out of my hand um but i am as you said working to getting it uh published in uh, north america as well so stay tuned for that but you can certainly order it and get the print copy from australia now um so that is yeah that's available and the website is or my website is lunaabundance.com so that's l-u-n-a-r lunaabundance.com and then you can see um even if you don't lunarabundance.com book is where you'll find out about the book. But then there's lots of other free resources um, and uh, you know, lunar planners and guides and things to mm. download and articles to read and that type of thing on the website if you wanted to hang out for the
1: American um, or Canadian publication of the book. That's great. Well, maybe we'll get Joanne to bring back a crate of them when she comes back yeah. from her next trip to
0: Australia. <laughs> yeah, Mum might, Mum might be coming for a visit this year, so she could be your like agent or something. <laughs> oh, <Desi>. <laughs> <laughs> The book, I love it. Yes, send send her over with a couple of cases.
1: (laughs) Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to go away and journal. There were a few things I noted that I want to personally reflect on for my own work and my own life from what you've said. And reflection is a big part of what Joanne and I really encourage our listeners to do in their lives, is to take time and reflect on what they're thinking and hearing and how it applies to them. And I think you've given us a lot to think about. It's been really a pleasure to have you on today. Oh, it's been
2: so good to be here. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.
0: Hi, Life Reframers. Did you enjoy our episode today? If so, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, check us out on all our social media avenues via reframeyourlife.ca.